The main source of outrage amongst the Oklahoma fan base this week has been centered on the Sooners coming in at number three in the penultimate edition of this year's college football playoff rankings, still behind 11-1 Clemson, but now jumped by a two-loss Auburn team at number two. However, some news dropped on Wednesday that I thought was far more egregious and probably isn't getting anywhere near the same amount of attention. The Joe Moore Award is awarded annually to the best offensive line in the country. One of the stated goals of the Oklahoma offensive line this season was to win the Joe Moore Award. Key word there is was. On Wednesday, the Joe Moore Foundation released its list of the three finalists for the award. Alabama, Notre Dame, and Auburn. You'll notice that Oklahoma is absent from that list. Look, I'm not going to turn this into a bashing of college football awards. The selection process for these types of awards are massively subjective and typically are handed out by committees that are made up of biased individuals. Iowa's offensive line won this thing last year, and Auburn's offensive line gave up 11 sacks to Clemson in an actual football game that happened this season. So that tells you all you need to know about the credibility of this award. But I will use it, use it as an example as to how criminally underrated this Oklahoma offense as a whole has been all season long. As we've been saying on West of Everest for the better part of three months, this Oklahoma offense is the best in the country. You know, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in the national media who disagrees with that statement. But I find it odd how other than that, you're not going to find much of anyone outside the state of Oklahoma who actually understands how good this OU offense is. This is not the typical best offense in the country you see every year in college football. It's much more insane than that. Since the year 2000, the three best Power 5 offenses in that span by yards per play have been as follows. Last year's Oklahoma team at 7.5 yards per play. The 2011 Baylor team in which RG3 won a Heisman Trophy for at 7.6 yards per play. And then the 2013-14-0 dominant national championship Florida State team at 7.7 yards per play. Those were all offenses that put up that, that put up well over 40 points per game, 500s worth, you know, of yards per game. The 2017 Oklahoma Sooners are averaging 8.6 yards per play. Nearly a full yard better than the next closest on that list. This is the most dominant offense in the modern era of college football. Potentially the most dominant offense in the history of college football. And no one gets it. Close circuit to the Joe Moore Foundation, that dominance starts up front. And the Sooners unquestionably have the best offensive line in the country to go along with the best offense in the country. Period. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Mayfield. In the end zone. Some guy named Grant Calcutta welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Gus Johnson having some issues identifying Grant Calcaterra after his superb touchdown grab against TCU back on November the 11th. The Sooners went on to score 38 points in the first half and route to a 38-20 win over the Horn Frogs in Norman. 
Hey, everyone. I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show. He'll join back here in a second. But first, I want to thank all the listeners out there for staying with West of Everest all throughout the college football season. All of you who've left a rating and or a review on iTunes, thanks a lot for that. Grant and I really appreciate it. So far, we've attained a perfect five-star rating on iTunes, so that's pretty awesome. We're always looking for your feedback on the show as well, so if you've got anything for us, don't hesitate to email westofeverest at gmail.com. Plus, you can find Grant and I on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. And one last thing before I bring Grant back into the fold. The show has exploded over the last month or so. More plays on iTunes and SoundCloud than we've ever seen up to this point. Plus, we've been getting some good email feedback as well. So Grant and I have been kicking around a Q&A segment idea. If you've got questions for the show, again, the email, westofeverest at gmail.com. And Grant and I will answer your question on the podcast. Please make sure to leave your name and hometown in the email so that we can properly identify you. Go ahead and ask us anything, and we'll do our best to give you an answer and solve all your problems as well. So with that, let's welcome back Grant into the show. And I've got a question for you, Grant, of my own. Why do you think I chose that Calcaterra catch to, uh, to open up the show today? Well, Lee, I would, I would go ahead and assume, just because you kind of have a weird fascination with Grant Calcaterra, I think for about four consecutive weeks in September, you picked him to be like the X-Factor guy in the game. And I think he never was once. So there's reason one. Reason two is I would just assume that was you know, one of the highlight plays from the game just a few weeks ago against TCU, who, of course, just happens to be Oklahoma's opponent on Saturday. Lee, am I, am I right? Uh, that was a good guess. I, I will say that we've done this before on the show, and your guesses have been terrible. That was a good guess, and those, those are good guesses. But actually, the reason why, and there's no way you're ever going to get this, but the reason why I chose that play is because on that play in the OU-TCU game, that was all Baker Mayfield just making a play and Grant Calcaterra making a play. Just no business even throwing that ball. Calcaterra wasn't even open, and Baker Mayfield threw him open. And come Saturday against TCU, against this TCU defense that has already seen Oklahoma play once, I think Baker Mayfield's going to have to make a lot of those just plays where there may not be anything there, and he just has to be awesome for Oklahoma to win this game. And that was a play the first time Oklahoma played TCU where Baker Mayfield did something pretty awesome, and also Grant Calcaterra made a great catch as well. So that's why. If they're going to win a national championship, they're going to have to do a lot of the same sort of stuff too. That is correct indeed. One more quick note since we're at the beginning of the podcast. For those of you who live in Oklahoma City, in the Oklahoma City area, or just Oklahoma in general, and Grant, you don't know this, I'm going to be doing color commentary of the Class 5A state football championship game this Friday, and it's broadcast on News Channel 9, KWTV. So obviously millions and millions of people around Oklahoma will be able to watch Carl Albert versus Bishop McGinnis play football on Friday and you get to listen to me do amazing color commentary because, as you all know that listen to this podcast, I know a little bit about football. So, Grant, would you watch a game that I'm giving color co- uh, color commentating on for football, or would you just flip over to, like, uh, Stranger Things or whatever the heck else people are watching these days? Just a shameless plug. I think you should be ashamed of yourself uh, using this using this stage right here to to promote something that's going to benefit you personally is is frankly disgusting uh 
Second of all, I, I would hope that, you know, what what station did you say is is, is broadcasting the football game? Uh, our Channel 9, where I work. Oh, KWTV. Channel 9. Yeah, I, I would, our, I, our, our main state. So we're not going to have Friday CBS programming. It's going to be Carl Albert versus Bishop McGinnis at 7 o'clock on Friday, right on Channel 9. It's going to be great. Well, I would hope that uh, Channel 9 would, would repay the podcast West of Everson Kind and hopefully they'll allow you to plug the show while you're while you're talking about high school football. Uh, in my mind, that's the only thing that's fair, and I assume that would hold up in court. Yes, you are a lawyer. I understand, correct? I'm. I'll never tell. An entertainment lawyer. Uh, all right, let's talk OU TCU. The playoff rankings are out. Like Grant said at the top, OU's number three. We have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm sure you do as well. But as you all know, we start the show by discussing the Sooners' next opponent, and it's a familiar opponent. That's TCU in the Big 12 Championship this Saturday. This will be the first time in 10 years the Sooners have gotten a rematch with a single team during that same season. Back in 2007, OU beat Missouri twice, once in Norman, once in San Antonio in the Big 12 title game. So now the Sooners get TCU once in Norman and now once in Arlington. And OU needs to win. Grant, what are your initial thoughts when it comes to this rematch? Well, first thought, Lee, is, and I don't know if we've actually discussed this too much on, on this podcast at all this season, uh, first reaction is completely meaningless game, uh, pointless game. It, it shouldn't exist, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I, I don't think we've gotten into any of that sort of stuff on this on this pod yet at all, but um, I, I have very strong feelings about just the existence of this championship game in a in a conference that has a round robin format it just it does it makes zero sense at all and i think you're seeing right now you're already especially with the matchup this week you're seeing already the downside that i don't think the, the big 12 thought hard enough about this whereas you have a team oklahoma who would be in the playoff field if they even if they didn't have to play another game and yet now they're going out and putting themselves uh they're they're putting themselves in harm's way because if they lose, they're not going to be in the playoff. And they're you know they've already beaten TCU this year decisively. Um, sporting sports is weird, and you you never know what can happen. And and that's why this this championship game was was never a great idea. Um, but but again, you know what do you expect from this conference? They've they've proven themselves to be incompetent for for over a decade now. Just 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 came to me randomly, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this kind of reminds me of. Hopefully, it doesn't go this way. Hopefully, it doesn't go this way at all. But remember back in 2010 in the Winter Olympics when Team USA beat Canada in like the the I don't know what they call it, the round robin or the I don't know, but whatever the early matches are, the early contest. But then they played the gold medal game, and Canada won that, and that was the one that mattered the most, and Canada ended up getting the gold medal. Yes. I, oh, I, of, co- of course I remember. I was, and that was just so stupid that they didn't have like an extra game because it was like you know because USA already beaten them earlier in the tournament. I, I hope that doesn't go that way this time with uh, Oklahoma winning the early matchup and then losing the late matchup. Obviously. Well, of course. I mean, I, I hope it doesn't go that way either. But it, you know, it, it bothers me even more. You know, facing I, I I respect the hell out of Gary Patterson as a as an X's and O's defensive mind. I I, I still don't really like the idea of of having to play him a second time just because I, I don't know what it's like. Uh, but you never know what what Gary Patterson is going to think of. I, I I'm not sure if that will matter. I, I you know time will tell. But it's it's just something that we're talking about that we you know if if the powers that be at the head of this conference had any sort of competence, it's a it's a discussion that we wouldn't be having. And I'll leave. And it And by that. the way, and, and that was uh, I'm not sure if I was clear. That was hockey we were talking about a moment ago. I'm not sure a lot of OU fans are also 
hockey fans. But um, so a lot of people may not even remember that. Anyways, I, I will say this about Lincoln Riley. He was asked about that, about the fact that they got to play TCU again and Oklahoma's already beaten them. And and Riley said all the right things. He said, well, we've known about this the entire time. We knew we'd have to play. You know, if, if we made it this far, we'd have to play somebody again. And it, it's just that's the way it is. And he even brought up how last year it would have been nice for them to have a Big 12 title game because Oklahoma was playing so good at the end of the season, playing so well. And an extra game could have potentially jumped Oklahoma into that playoff. And Lincoln Riley said that earlier on Monday in his, in his, his press conference. So with the Big 12 title game, it's one of those things where year in and year out, it can either help the Big 12 or hurt the Big 12. And in this case, it can hurt the Big 12 now that Oklahoma has decisively beaten TCU and pretty much has wrapped up, up a playoff spot if Oklahoma's schedule was complete. Uh, and also, real quick before we get to the next thing, my initial thoughts on the game, I'm definitely concerned, more concerned with TCU this time around compared to when they played a few weeks ago. If you remember, Grant, I told you I wasn't really all that concerned with TCU because I because of how they had fared against other elite offenses and not very well. And Oklahoma is the best of all of them, and Oklahoma was able to move the ball pretty well. But, but this time around, it's I'm more concerned simply because the Frogs have tape of themselves playing OU. And I've got more thoughts on this here in a moment that I will get to. So uh, before we move on to, to more of the X's and O's during the game, Grant, I'm sure you're aware of Gary Patterson coming out and talking about the whole situation that you hit on a couple weeks ago or a week ago, a week ago about Baker Mayfield throwing a football at a TCU player's head during pregame the last time Oklahoma and TCU played in Norman. Did you hear Gary Patterson talk? Uh, his, his, I guess they're calling it a rant. I guess that would qualify as a rant, but did you hear what Gary Patterson had to say about that? Yeah, it honestly didn't really make a whole lot of sense. He started talking about Nico Small and how him getting hit over, you know, upside the head with a football somehow gave him a concussion, which doesn't make any sense because he played the entire game right after concussion, and that no, would no, no, he he never he never said the word concussion. He never. I, I think you did, did. Did he insinuate it? No, I I read real reports. I listened to it. I don't think he really insinuated that. I didn't get that out of it. I I mean, I I don't know. I I I'm with you. I I saw some reports of that. He was kind of like the implication was that gave him a concussion. I don't think that's what he was saying. I. I wouldn't go that far, but okay. uh, I mean, the, the the point I saw that, that he wanted, I think the reason he commented on it is because Lincoln Riley commented on it last week whenever he was asked if Baker Mayfield's punishment for his Kansas behavior was also part of the the ball throwing incident during the TCU game. And Lincoln Riley said, well, I didn't talk to Baker about that at all. But when you run through our warm up lines, things like that can happen. And Gary Patterson wanted to defend himself and his team and say that, well, we don't run through people's warm-up lines and there was nowhere else to go on the field and the, the, the security guards in the field didn't know where else to put us. And, and then he talked about how back at Texas Tech, because Baker Mayfield played at Texas Tech, and he mentioned Lincoln Riley, coached at Texas Tech, and then Patterson said that he, had, he has a coach on his current staff at TCU that also coached at Tech, and he said that that's what players at Texas Tech would do, would, would, would be to throw balls at other teams other members of other teams during pregame and he even cited one prominent this is this is what this is a, I'm I, I'm not this is not the exact quote but I'm paraphrasing he, he cited one well-known Texas Tech quarterback hit an A&M player one time and he didn't say what name so anyways he was trying to say that that's what they do we don't do that I don't want to make this a whole thing but he basically made it a whole thing because he was trying to defend his team that's kind of what I got out of it does his team start brawls in the middle of games I don't know. Well, I, the, I, yeah, I'm just saying. Like that's 
I honestly if, didn't even see that Baylor TCU brawl. I don't even see. I, I don't even remember. I, I didn't see what happened in that. So you may be able to. to explain more oh, about, i mean it was uh, a, that's a scenario oh it, it was a typical football brawl it was it, it wasn't nearly as bad as i think a lot of people were making it out to be but no i mean i i a couple weeks ago i was i was critical of baker mayfield about this whole thing um and i guess just listening to what gary patterson or you transcribing what gary patterson said uh there's that sounds i mean that's that sounds borderline like a conspiracy nut to be honest with you Saying oh they were at T- they were at Texas Tech and that's just what Texas Tech does but us at TCU we don't do stuff like that. I mean I I think that's it's pretty crazy to get on your high horse after that especially after you just got a bunch of guys kicked out of a game for starting a brawl and the last the last three years you know they, he's played Oklahoma there's been one of his guys has been ejected for targeting or for kicking or whatever that matters so. You know, I I have a lot of respect for Gary Patterson. I'll give him a pass on this one. I'm not really going to go into more because I, I I think it's a non-issue. It's kind of dumb that it's even a thing. I I criticized Baker Mayfield for it a couple weeks ago when it happened. I thought it was bush league and dumb. Other than that, it, it hurt no one. It's not a big deal. It's over. Move on. Well, and and I'm going to piggyback on that. You criticized Baker Mayfield for it. I called it kind of a jerk move as well, something along those lines. I believe the word we actually used was douche move, which um, – you know, is basically a jerk move. And, uh, you know, I, I'm i kind of with both sides on this. I One, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I understand Gary Patterson coming to his team's defense. I think this is just a classic example of a coach sticking up for his team. And on Lincoln Riley's side, I think the uh, same thing. It was a coach sticking up for his player in Baker Mayfield. And, and obviously this bothered Patterson quite a bit, which is understandable because his relationship with Mayfield and, and Mayfield's family, from what I understand, is not the best even though Baker Mayfield says that he has lots of respect for Gary Patterson and, and he's a great coach. Uh, it's one of those things where I think you just know that Patterson wants to kind of ruin Mayfield's chances at winning a national title pretty badly. So I think there's some personal animosity there a little bit, but also Patterson is looking out for his team mostly. I think it's mostly a coach coming to the defense of his team, and I understand that, so I'm not going to hold anything against him as well. So. I think I think that's probably what it is on both sides. It's probably honestly just a huge stupid misunderstanding. And I'm a, I you know what? I, I would guess over the course of the game, it's really not that out, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility that you're going to get hit in the helmet by a ball. So I I just I'd assume the TCU guys at first probably didn't think it was that big of a deal because you're running around with a bunch of balls being flung around. You might get hit in the head. You know, I like I Although said, we I did thought, see the video and it did look look like it was intentional. Yeah, it looked like, as far as I'm concerned, it was on purpose. It was intentional. It's something that shouldn't have happened. It did. It's not a big deal. It's been acknowledged now. I, I hope it does. I hope it's not a deciding factor or something that's on people's minds on Saturday when they're playing the game because that would be stupid. But it's just you know, one of those subplots that's worth talking about because, yeah, I mean, this game's already big enough. It just adds to the adds a little more fuel to the fire. As I say, I mean, I, I have a ton of respect for Gary Patterson, and, and like you said, I'm sure there is a, a big part of him who who wants to ruin, you know, o- OU's chances, their national championship chances, their Heisman chances, what have you. I would expect nothing less. The guy's a competitor, so of course. Um, but you know, he's he, he's not gonna his guys aren't gonna aren't gonna win the game by being more angry than than the OU guys. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to win the game with with their mind and X's and O's. So. That, anything past that is is completely irrelevant in my mind. Well, let's get to the X's and O's and the product on the field. TCU comes into this game expected to be fully healthy on defense, 
Nick Orr, though, one of their corners, will have to miss the first half because of that Baylor game. And he's tied for second on TCU in tackles. He's got a couple picks this year. He's got five pass breakups, seven passes defended. So, I mean, this guy's pretty solid. This is one of their better players, one of their best players on their defense. And he's not going to be able to play the first half. So that's certainly an advantage for Oklahoma. Grant, is it reasonable to think that Oklahoma's offense will have similar success against TCU this time around? I think so. I don't. I honestly don't see why not. Um, maybe you won't see it at, at that exact uh, extent as you did a few weeks ago. I mean, they they scored on their their final six drives to end uh, the first half. I I mean that's pretty that's pretty incredible. I mean, hell, we we did see them score on nine straight drives uh, in in last Saturday's game. So anything's possible. But I I, I would expect for TCU to figure something out on defense a little bit, at least something different that they're going to be able to throw at the Sooners that's going to, you know, at least confuse them for a drive or two. And and I don't I it's it's going to be more of a struggle this time around. Good defenses when they have when they have tape on something, I don't really care how good you are. Uh they're going to be able to throw something in there that's going to be able to confuse the Sooners. Um and and vice versa, I would hope. So, yeah. Well, as far as I'm I'm concerned, I- I think this is pretty difficult to decipher because I think OU certainly can have similar success offensively because the Sooners are obviously very good on that side of the ball. But the fact that TCU is getting OU for the second time in less than a month, it does give me pause because I'm concerned now that the Frogs have played, you know, that full 60 minutes actually on the field against Sooners offense. That Frogs defense has a better idea now of what to expect the second time around. And, and those who have been listening to this podcast all season long know that I've thought all year that a huge advantage for the OU offense against any defense that the Sooners have played is the fact that there's a huge difference between the Sooners and all the other offenses in college football. Really good defenses can watch film and get all the practice reps they want during the week, but nothing can replicate OU's offense fully because there's only one Baker Mayfield and there's only one Lincoln Riley and so on and so forth. Well, now that advantage for Oklahoma has been taken away because TCU knows the feeling of playing on the same field with Mayfield and with CeeDee Lamb and with that offensive line and with Rodney Anderson and with Lincoln Riley calling plays. So, So that's where I think that TCU will definitely be more advantage this time around because of that first game, even though Oklahoma's offense played so well. And so that's that gives me pause, but I will say, though, after watching the game back again and watching the film and breaking down what TCU did, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, I felt a little bit more confident after watching that film than I did going into watching that film back. So, Grant, I have some notes on the previous game. I'm curious if you do. Do you... From what happened the last time around, a few weeks ago in Norman, do you do you see anything from that game, or, or can Oklahoma take anything from from that game and bring it into this matchup with TCU that that you've noticed or that you think? Well, I, I think especially if you go back and watch the first half, I think the biggest thing that stands out to you is the, is the physicality of Oklahoma's offensive line and honestly how easily they handled TCU's uh, front four and front seven. Uh, TCU threw a lot of different looks at, at OU's offense in that game, and the the blitz pickup, the offensive line uh, was was just was very good. Um, TCU's got some really good players up front. Uh, they they do, and they they were basically uh, they're basically shut out by the OU offensive line. They 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 couldn't do much of anything. Um, 
so in terms of X's and O's, I mean, you, you saw a lot of uh, guys on OU's offense making a lot of really incredible one-on-one plays. Um, I, they're going to have to do it again. It's a good defense. Um, so the the big thing is, is you know, the, the last game, it did kind of seem like it was a Rodney Anderson coming out party. Um, who's it going to be this time? You know, they may be keying on Rodney this time. Do we see C.D. Lamb explode? I don't think we saw a ton of, of Mark Andrews that first time around outside of a handful of plays. Is this the first time, you know, since the first game of the year that Andrews goes over 100 yards receiving and finally just has that monster game where no one can cover him? Um, Lee, I don't know. What did you see on film? Well, first off, you're exactly right. I mean, TCU did throw out a lot of different looks at Oklahoma, and no matter what, Oklahoma was able to move the football on TCU for the most part, which is a great sign for this upcoming weekend because, uh, well, I'll go into more of that here in a second, but but here's kind of what they looked like on film just to kind of expand on all the different looks that TCU gave Oklahoma. Pre-snap, the Frogs almost always show a cover two look, but that doesn't always mean they'll be in cover two. Sometimes they'll play two man. Sometimes they'll drop actually into cover three. Looking at the first half of the game when the Sooners put up 415 yards and 38 points, OU scored four of its five touchdowns against a zone defense. The only touchdown the Sooners scored when TCU blitzed was that nice pass from Mayfield to Calcaterra. Now, I've been trying to decide what Gary Patterson is going to do this time around to slow down the Sooners offense. You may think, well, what did Patterson do and TCU do in the second half? TCU shut out OU in the second half. And so from what I saw on tape, TCU didn't really do anything drastically different, if anything at all, in the second half. The Frogs' defensive coverages and pre-snap looks were all the same. I think of I think a lot of why OU didn't score in the second half was that the Sooners didn't fully open up the playbook as much as OU did in the first half. And this is something that you and I kind of kind of thought at the time, but watching it back, it was more clear to me. Get this. OU ran 32 plays in the second half. 23 of those plays were called run plays. Mayfield only dropped back to pass nine times in the second half. And a couple of those times, he ended up scrambling and picking up decent yardage. Compare that to the first half when OU was a little more balanced. 36 total plays, OU passed it 22 times and ran it 14 times. Yes, TCU's defense played better in the second half, but I really do think OU tried to take the air out of the ball in the final 30 minutes. And, and you look at, at a drive in the fourth quarter even. OU ran the ball with Rodney Anderson seven consecutive times and was able to run five minutes off the clock, which is a good sign that OU could still run the ball successfully when TCU knew the Sooners wanted to run the ball every single play. So I was pleasantly surprised when I watched back the second half of that game. I think a lot of it was Oklahoma just it, kind of what we thought. They were trying to get out of there, shorten the game, and even this week at his press conference, Lincoln Riley was asked about that second half and you know, what happened. You know, what did TCU do differently? Why do you think it was it was tough for you? And it was cool because Riley, you could tell, and he said he he didn't want to talk a whole lot about it because he was acknowledging that there was some some uh, gamesmanship. He didn't want to talk about what happened in that second half. And I think the reason was is because he kn- he knew or he knows that he didn't really open open up the playbook, and he didn't want to actually admit that. He wanted just to make sure to say, yeah, TCU's defense is good. Things happen in the second half. I, I don't really want to go into it a whole lot, which I thought that was that was pretty neat and also very telling to hear that from Coach Riley. Yeah, I thought it was pretty clear, um, and, and I did not go back and watch it, but just from my memory of the game, it was even while watching it, it was clear that they, they, they had pumped the brakes pretty hard in the second half. 
uh, they, they were not moving with a lot of uh, a lot of tempo, a lot of rhythm or anything like that. They they were very content to just kind of sit on the ball and let the clock wind down. Um, they thought that their defense had that game in control, and it turned out that that absolutely was was the case. Uh, TCU wasn't able to score in the in the third quarter of that game, and and by that time the game was effectively over. Um, so I, I, I guess we'll see on Saturday if, if, if Riley proves to be a, a genius in that respect, because if you're just going off the first quarter, I think, I think a lot of people are surprised that, oh, you didn't score in the second half, but I'm of the mind and, and anyone I think who, who actually watched the first half and then the second half back to back, I'm of the mind of thinking that, oh, you could have scored 60 if they wanted to. Um, and they, they may, they may well, you know, could have, uh, but they decided not to. So we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see on on Saturday if if uh, if TCU has, has figured anything out, or if we see any wrinkles from OU, or if it's just business as usual. Uh, I'm. It, it's going to be a really interesting game, especially from an from an X's and O's point of view, Lee. And before we move on to the OU defense, talking about how the Sooners will f- will uh, play against the TCU offense. One last thing. I want to talk about what I think Gary Patterson and TCU is going to try to do this time against Oklahoma because that's the big question, right? How how are they going to approach this game? And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if TCU tries to implement more of the Iowa State rush three, drop eight, and play prevent a big play defense this time. And that goes against pretty much everything TCU wants to do, but it's effectively slowed OU at times this year. But having said that, there was one time that TCU did that in the previous matchup rush three dropped eight against Oklahoma and Mayfield threw an incomplete pass so effectively it worked but it was on third and ten and the play before the incomplete pass was that weird exchange where Mayfield and Abdul Adams fumbled it and Mayfield got his leg hit down low and it looked like he might be a little banged up and might be injured so the very next play is whenever he threw the incomplete pass when TCU dropped eight and I think I think it was because he was a little a little banged up. He was kind of trying to recover from getting his, his leg hit, and he wasn't feeling right. He had C.D. Lamb wide open. He just threw it behind him. He missed him. So uh, so based on that one play, it, it worked for TCU, but if Baker Mayfield wasn't kind of feeling weird from the previous play, I think it would have been a big completion. So to conclude, outside of dropping eight into coverage more, I can't imagine TCU will do many things differently on Saturday. I really don't. I mean, the Frogs missed some tackles last time out, so I'm sure Patterson is drilling that into his guys this week, and he'll just challenge his defense, which is very good, to be more precise and sound in their techniques coming coming this weekend in Arlington. So that's that's what I anticipate will happen for the TCU defense. Yeah, if somebody was asking me what I what I think is the best defense to play against OU, that that's the one. Uh, is the is the maybe rush three and just kind of drop everyone back. Uh, play with lots of lane discipline um, and just just hope you don't get burned. I, I think that's your best bet these day, these days, especially with with how good Baker Mayfield has proved to be against the blitz. Um, I mean, don't don't give him any help back there. I, I think I think coaches may may start figuring out. You know, you gotta you gotta give as much help to your backside as humanly possible. Um, we'll see. I, I'm going to be very interested to see what they do because you know that really has been the only type of offense that has slowed the Sooners this year for the most part. All right, let's move to the OU defense and the TCU offense. And honestly, there's not a whole lot to talk about when it comes to this side of the ball because Oklahoma's defense has been playing okay, but there's been times when they don't play well. Just a couple notes. Khalil Houghton, good news. Mike Stoops said yes uh, on Tuesday that he's back at practice and he's good to go. And Houghton, missed, he's missed the last three games. 
He didn't play the last time against TCU. So a healthy Khalil Houghton is certainly an upgrade, or maybe not, maybe upgrade's the wrong word, but getting a veteran guy like Houghton back in that secondary who has a lot of youngsters. And Houghton's played, he's played okay this year. So getting him back at safety will definitely help the Oklahoma depth. So that's good news. As far as TCU's offense, Darius Anderson, of course, the running back is out this time, broke his leg against Oklahoma. Kenny Hill, though, will be in after missing uh, what he missed the Texas Tech game, but he played against Baylor. I, here's here's my question for you, Grant. And this may be an obvious answer. Do you expect TCU will run a bunch of Wildcat with either Cavante Turpin or Kyle Hicks or anybody else on their offense on Saturday? Are we going to see a bunch of it? I don't know. Are we going to see it? I think I think probably. Um, I, I I don't think. With with the type of, of play that the Sooners have put on tape in two separate games this year, once against Kansas State, um, and now you know throughout the game against West Virginia, just struggling with the Wildcat, I it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see some Wildcat in this game because they they really have proven to to struggle to defend it. And it's usually it's usually just for a small amount of time. I know against Kansas State it was only the first half they struggled defending it, and then they they kind of tightened up. Um, West Virginia, it seemed like it was more of a consistent issue. In the second half, they sort of tightened up against it, and then they got a little leaky again in the second half, kind of late on uh, when the game was was no longer in doubt. Uh, Khalil Houghton being back in this respect is actually very big because he's actually the best tackler in the secondary. Well, Stephen Parker probably is, yes, but I, yeah, Stephen Parker is the yeah, best but, tackler. But 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 out of everyone else, Khalil Houghton is uh, is very important um, being up in the box as he he can tackle. Um, having him back is really going to help in that respect. Um, the run defense really for the last month has actually not been great. I think it's the past evens in the back end with Trey Norwood and now Parnell Motley being, being back, it has, has, has stabilized a little bit. Um, but now the run defense has been kind of leaky. I'm, 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 I'm very curious to see if maybe Khalil Houghton will, will help with that. They can, um, with him that, you know, they can put five defensive backs on the field and they can bring him up in the box and he's good in the box. Um, I, Lee, I sure am worried about that wildcat. Um, because it, it's not even necessarily a scheme thing. It wasn't against Kansas State, and it really wasn't against West Virginia either. They were just losing the hat on a hat, and I'm I'm concerned about it. Yeah, I think we're going to see it. There's no there's no doubt we're going to see it. I don't know who's going to be back there. Probably Kyle. I mean Kyle Hicks and Turpin. I mean we saw a little bit of I think Turpin maybe. Um, no, I don't I don't think so. At the first time around, I remember when they brought their backup quarterback in for a bit. But um, anyways, yeah, I, I think we're going to see it. And, you know, TC is going to want to shorten the game, keep the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands. And they're going to see all this film of Oklahoma getting burned on the Wildcat, whether it be Kansas State, whether it be West Virginia. And Mike Stoops and company have no excuse to not be prepared for it this time around because they've been exploited on it now twice this season. So why wouldn't TCU do that? Because honestly, TCU didn't have a whole lot of success getting big plays against Oklahoma the last time around, which was... I mean, maybe one of the better, maybe the best defensive performance, obviously, outside of Ohio State, Oklahoma's had all season long against TCU a few weeks ago. So in that game, Oklahoma only allowed 20 points. What are the odds that Oklahoma is able to hold the Frogs to 20 points again in this game, Grant? Oh, I don't think they're very good, to be honest with you. I, I'm not... I'm not going to bet any money on this defense holding anyone under 20 points, unless it's Kansas. I... I I, I thought I was I was surprised they played so well um, three weeks ago against TCU. The, the twenty point threat. I mean, if they if they only give up twenty points again, they're you know they're they're looking roses. They're looking great at that point. I, is it going to happen again? Almost. I I'd, I'd, I'd venture to say almost no way. 
yeah, I, I don't think there's no yeah, there's no way. I think TCU will will certainly score more than twenty points, and I, I think it's crazy not to expect TCU to score at least four touchdowns in this game. So, all right, time for predictions: Oklahoma and TCU, a rematch for the Big Twelve title. Grant, what's going to happen in this one? Lee, on this one, I'm I'm going to break away from kind of what I've been doing. I I'm, I'm going to be honest with everybody. I hate giving game predictions. I'm a very superstitious person. Lee's going to tell me I'm stupid for that. That's fine. I, I just don't like giving them just because it, my brain can't take it. If they were to lose, I would instantly think that I'm responsible for it. Um, having that been said, I'm going to I'm going to tell you what I think. Uh, my gut is telling me for this game. Lee, I got a gut feeling they're going to blow them out. I, I think they're going to. I think they're going to. They're going to kind of show up and win this game pretty easily. Um, I say that knowing full well that TCU is a very good team. That you know, if they show up and play well, and the Sooners don't play well, this is a game they absolutely could lose. So this is not any sort of backhanded thing at TCU at all. I, it, it's more of just it's just a gut feeling, and I think OU is going to come out, and I think they're going to be uh, they're going to be focused, they're going to be efficient, and they're they're going to blow them out of the stadium. I think Lee. Well, I hope you're right. I'm not as confident. I I do not envision a blowout. And to be fair, again, the last time they played, I figured Oklahoma would win and cover the spread. And the spread back then was actually pretty big. I I think it was in the double digits when Oklahoma beat them in Norman. And Oklahoma did. They covered. They won by 18 points. This time around, I think the spread's around a touchdown. I, I think it's such a big advantage for TCU's defense, even though Oklahoma's offense is so good. I just have a feeling that they're going to be able to play better against Oklahoma's offense for four quarters, and I just don't I don't envision Oklahoma's defense playing anywhere near as well as the Sooners played the last time. I do think Oklahoma's going to win the game, though, just because I this this team feels like it's it's just it's it's not the right time for them to lose, and I don't I don't think there is a right time for them to lose because I think this team is going to end up winning the national championship. I think this team's going to win it all, and obviously for that to happen. They can't lose a TCU this week, although I do think it's going to be close. I think Oklahoma's going to put up some points. I think they're going to put up just as many points as they scored in Norman. I think it's going to be 38-35 Austin Seibert field goal. I'm not sure when that will happen, but an Austin Seibert field goal will be the difference in this game. Oklahoma punching their ticket to the college football playoff with a close victory over TCU. That's what I think is going to happen. I hope that you are monumentally wrong. I there's no way my little heart will be able to take a three-point win coming down to an Austin, an Austin Seibert field goal. I will lose my mind. I might have a heart attack in my basement. Um, I, I did want to bring something up, something else up, Lee, because I don't know if we've we've talked about it enough or at least we've, we've given it enough, um, a, a, enough notice here on the show. I just want to give a quick shout-out to Rodney Anderson. Lee, Rodney Anderson, over the second half of the season, has been the best running back in the country. And it's like almost, it's, it's not even really debatable up to this point. If, have you seen his numbers over the last six games? They are. Yeah, I saw that um, one of the graphics that somebody put up about um, with Anderson and Saquon Barkley and Bryce Love and I think one other running back. And the numbers like weren't even close. I mean, Anderson is just killing all of them. And nobody is talking about Rodney Anderson anywhere outside of Oklahoma. Yeah, they Oklahoma might might seriously have the best quarterback in the country, the best running back in the country, the two best offensive tackles in the country. They have the best tight end in the country. I mean, that's it's 
it's it's getting weird how much talent this offense has on it. And you have a guy like Rodney Anderson who at the beginning of the season, we didn't leave. We thought he would almost be a non-factor. And for a while, maybe the first four or five games of the year, he did look like a non-factor. He looked like a guy who was recovering from a broken neck and a broken leg a couple years before that. Um, and, and now he's, let's just say, I mean, he's, he's giving us Joe Mixon numbers, Joe Mixon production. Um, maybe even you know better Joe Mixon production. I mean, if you the everyone was freaking out about Saquon Barkley the first four or five games of the year. R- Rodney Anderson's last six games have have blown away Saquon Barkley's first half of the season. Um, so Rodney Anderson is a guy who we don't talk about a lot, but he is a huge weapon on this team, and and I and and I hope he starts to prove it, especially this week. I mean, he he put up put up almost three hundred yards of total offense by himself against TCU last time, it would be quite the sign that Rodney Anderson is a special player if he can do something similar this time around. I, I don't think he's going to have 300 yards, but you know if he can put up 100 yards on the ground and make some, make some big plays in the passing game as well, I, I think that's a sign, that's a signal that Rodney, that you know not only is this offense about Baker Mayfield um, and it's his receivers and this amazing offensive line, but they also have an amazing talent at running back too in Rodney Anderson. I, I honestly didn't realize how good he's been the second half of the year. Yeah, he's been awesome. He's been awesome. You ready to talk about the college football playoff rankings? Oh, I was born ready. All right, so this is the time of the show where we're going to discuss the rankings. What is it? It's uh, Clemson 1, Auburn 2, Oklahoma 3, Wisconsin 4, Alabama 5, I believe. So when the ratings come out, uh, rankings came out, I thought you made a great point before they came out, and you brought up the fact that if you see Mississippi State in the top 25 early on, the fix is in. And what do you know it? The first five teams come out, and there's Mississippi State right there in the top 25 still, Grant. So what did you mean when you – I mean, obviously this was off the podcast. You were, you were just texting this to me. What did you mean by the fix is in if, if we saw Mississippi State in the top 25? Well, the committee is artificially trying to boost Alabama's resume. I, I think that's pretty obvious. And it actually – it it – um, upon seeing the the poll, it wasn't. It, it actually wasn't even Mississippi State was was the craziest one. It was Fresno State's uh, sneaking in at, at number twenty five. Um, not a lot of people know Alabama played Fresno State like two months ago, beat them by four touchdowns. Um, the committee is going to treat that Fresno State win by by Alabama as like a very similar win to OU's road win at Oklahoma State. That that's where this is trending. Um, so, you know, you have all of these, uh, you have, you have the college football playoff committee They they say, Hey, we value wins over these teams and these teams, and we value top 25 wins, but no one is, is saying you're the one who says who the top 25 teams are so they can cook the books if they want to. Well, uh, to be fair, the AP top 25 also includes Fresno state as, as the number 25 team as well. So that's just, that's a thing. Yeah, I, I I know, but was anybody talking about Fresno State as a top twenty-five team? Is I I know they beat Boise State. Why isn't Florida Atlantic in the top twenty-five? They haven't played a game like within thirty points in two months. So I, I just I, I don't get it. Um, so I, I I think it's fairly transparent at this point, especially with Mississippi State. Do Mississippi State hasn't played a soul this year? Uh, their only win of note is is at LSU. To be honest with you, they're number what are they twenty-three? I think are they twenty-two or twenty-three? They're there entirely. They're there because they lost to Alabama by seven points. That's that's the only reason why they're there. Uh, so I, 
I just don't think that there's any sort of rational uh, argument that can be made. Why is Mississippi? Why is Mississippi State in? And why? Where? Why isn't Iowa State in? I, I know they're seven and five, but they have they they have two wins that are much better than anything Mississippi State has. Mississippi State was is the only team in the country this year, um, or the only Power Five team that only played eight Power Five opponents. Their four other games were against either FCS opponents or group of five teams. So they've played an absolute cupcake schedule. Uh, they've only the only team of note they've beaten is LSU. They've been outside of Alabama, or they they, they were blown out by Georgia and Auburn. Uh, that's a team just that really hasn't accomplished a whole a whole lot. They're they're there uh, solely to prop up Alabama's resume. That's that, that yeah, that's just, my that that that's my tinfoil conspiracy theory of the week. Well, it's not a conspiracy theory at all. It's I mean they set up. There's definitely a scenario in there with Alabama being number five where Alabama can still get in, get into the playoff, depending on what happens this weekend. And just looking at the rankings again, you have LSU at 17, same exact record as Oklahoma State. LSU lost to Troy. Oklahoma State, two spots behind LSU when their worst loss is Kansas State. Yeah, Kansas State's, I mean, they're not that good. They're average. They're an average team. They're not Troy. So... Why does LSU get to be two spots ahead of Oklahoma State? So that looks like it's a better win now than Oklahoma State, that Alabama beat LSU. No, no, Oklahoma State's a better football team than than LSU. They just are. And that's just, it's annoying to me that that's, I mean, I know it's only two spots, but I think it just adds to the evidence that the SEC is being so highly regarded by the committee, and it shouldn't be. The SEC is not very good at all outside of three teams and those three teams happen to be very high in the playoff rankings um you have any more i mean i'm sure you have a million thoughts on it but what are your additional thoughts on the playoff rankings yeah i and also to ucf being at 14 is a joke ucf's been has has been one of the 10 best teams in the country all year long um I, I know a lot of you know a lot of pundits have said it in the last twenty four hours too. If UCF can't can't crack the top four this year, where you know we're we're definitely gonna have a two loss team in the playoff field. If UCF can't crack the playoff this year, doing what they've done against that schedule, they've they've killed everybody basically except the last week against South Florida. Then there's no hope of any any group of five team ever getting in there. And you know I th- I just think that's kind of lame. That's just no fun. Um I. I don't know. I mean, yep, we, 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 the, we can say a lot. The, we, we can say a lot about it, but I, you know what? UCF's been has been a, a, has has been a top ten team. They've played like a top ten team all year long. The committee they don't they don't give a flying you know what, and it's 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 a little it's a little frustrating, especially when they got LSU even being within five spots of UCF in this poll is a slap in the face to anybody who pays attention to college football. And I think you made the point before on this podcast that Wisconsin's schedule and UCF's schedule pretty comparable yeah right? very comp- very very comparable and UCF has been has has been much more dominant against their schedule than Wisconsin's been um I mean we don't need to go into that. I mean Wisconsin is has is 12 and 0 in yeah. the Big Ten I, I get it that's fine and I they and obviously the committee's not really giving them a lick of respect either I it, it does feel like they they have Wisconsin there at four just because they feel like they're compelled to um if if they lose to Ohio State they're they're gonna drop them six or seven spots so um 
committee has has no respect for Wisconsin either. It's just and and honestly, the the worst part about it at this point is I don't really know what their criteria is because it seems like they pick and choose different stuff for every team to justify um, whatever. And uh, at this point, I I just wish there was a lot more transparency with it. It I I don't think this is how they intended to set it up when it happened, but it just feels like there's lots of secrecy that goes with it, and that the the criteria is not plainly stated. I know they say it is, but it's not. I. It's. There's just been lots. Of, I, I'm just very confused with with a lot of what they're doing, and I, I I I guess I understand the emotional idea of moving Auburn up to number two, but when they say that the entire you know they take the entire body of work into into account and they do all that stuff, how on earth can you move Auburn ahead of Oklahoma if if they're actually taking know. in the I don't entire know. body of work? Um, I, I guess it just doesn't make any sure. And, and Auburn might be it might be the best team in the country right now. I mean, th- that's a statement that I would categorically disagree with. But I, sure, I, I get it. They've they they've beaten two teams in the last three weeks that had the number one next to their name, and that's just a very emotional thing, especially in college football. So I, I get it. Um, win, beat TCU, and, and and take the committee out of it. Yeah, and, and before we go on to, to our top 10, I just one quick, speaking of TCU, having TCU at 11 outside the top 10 behind USC and Penn State is just a joke, absolute joke. And uh, TCU's best win against Oklahoma State on the road at Oklahoma State is better than USC's best win, which was early in the year against Stanford, who wasn't even playing that well at the time, and Penn State's best win, which came at home against a – pretty average Michigan team and yet TCU is two spots which takes away a top 10 win from Oklahoma which Oklahoma should have based on this current on these current rankings should have two top 10 wins but yet they only have one and that's Ohio State so Grant let's do our top 10 I'll let you start uh give your criteria for the top 10 and begin with number 10 please uh, Lee, my criteria is so I'm I'm still doing this, and what the if I was on the committee, here's what my top ten would be. Um, the criteria is 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 part resume. Uh, it's mostly going to be resume stuff. I, I like to use analytics too um, for a lot of my things. When teams are close, I, I'm going to compare good wins and whatnot. So I'll start with the number ten. Lee, my number ten team is TCU, uh, OU's opponent this week. I think in terms of resume, they deserve to be there um, for the exact same reason why you just said uh, their best win is better than Penn State's best win. And I think TCU, honestly, has played a more challenging schedule up to this point in time. Uh, so TCU is number 10. All right. And I know I keep going back and forth on these top 10s about how my how I list my top 10. I've decided to just embrace it. This is if, if I was in a member of the committee this is how I would vote. So this is my top 10. It's it's not the whole like who I think would win, who I think if, you know, best best team like I did last week. I'm just going to go by, okay, if I was on the committee, here's how I'd vote. So based on that criteria, my number 10 team this week is Miami. Uh, that team has been lucky a lot of this season. I thought you might, I think you made the point last podcast or one of the last podcasts that there were two different games this year where Miami was statistically incredibly lucky to win. Uh, they were... They were beaten straight up by Pitt. I mean, straight up beaten by Pitt, a team that is playing their best football right now at the end of the year, and now Pitt's done, but also a a Pitt team that was absolutely embarrassed by Oklahoma State in September and clearly is not all that great. I mean, Pitt finished 5-7, and 
Miami was finally exposed as just like a, an okay, good team with a, with a decent, pretty good defense that was really relying on turnovers. And if and even though Miami was able to get a couple turnovers in that game, the offense couldn't do anything against a pit defense that was playing well. So Miami is at number 10. I don't think Miami's all that great. And, and honestly, I, I'd feel better. I, I'd feel pretty good about UCF right now beating Miami. So I, I kind of feel bad. I should have had UCF in this top 10, but I, I don't. Anyways, that's my number 10 team. At number nine, I have Penn State. Penn State has one one good win all year, and that's Michigan. And I guess kind of Northwestern. Northwestern's turned out, turned out to be an okay win. Outside of that, Penn State has really done anything. That being said, uh, Penn State's a, a good team. And we, we ripped on Penn State a lot during the middle of the season. I'm glad that they're not anywhere near the playoff because they don't deserve to be because they're not good enough. But I still think Penn State's a top 10 team, so I have the Nittany Lions at number 9. I find it weird that you put Penn State above TCU after, or I guess you haven't gotten to TCU yet, so that's that's that that would be me. Um, <laughs> Lee, my number, <laughs> I'm 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 thinking way outside the box now. Lee, my number nine team is UCF. Um, I I think they should be in the top ten. In fact, now actually, I I keep seeing them here at nine, and in my head, I'm thinking, what are you doing? You keep going to bat for UCF. You need to move them up. I think if I had to redo it, I'd move them up. So hopefully, they win this week, and I am able to actually move them up because now I see him at nine. I think that's actually too low. But number nine, UCF, actually played one of their worst games of the year against South Florida um, on Friday. One of the games of the year. What a great game to watch, especially the end. Uh, their offense is so good. Uh, it's a, the best offense in the country, not in Norman or Stillwater. Um, and they they force a lot of turnovers on defense, and they have sneaky, sneaky good special teams, too. UCF is a really, really well-coached team, a lot of speed on that team. Their defense was awful uh, Lee, in that game, though. Their defense was terrible. Yeah, it was. It was, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to defend. Their defense was was really bad. So, But you know what? I, uh, there, I have another team in my top ten that also has played some really bad defense this year, too, and I, I forgive that with their ranking. Uh, Lee, my number eight team is Ohio State. Um, I think the committee is right, uh, having Ohio State where they are. Um, I, I, I think you could definitely make compelling arguments to why um, they should be ahead of Miami, maybe even Alabama at this point. Um, but I, I think right now eight, 8 is good for Ohio State. I, I, I do think that 31-point loss to Iowa should be relevant. Um, I, I do think there is a lot to the logic of saying that there's no way a team that loses to Iowa by 31 points belongs in the playoff. I understand that logic totally i'm not sure if i 100 buy it yet um i'm not sure you know we, we got three or four days left until this thing gets announced so but, but i might come around on that my eight team is tcu so i think it's ridiculous that tcu is not uh higher up in the playoff poll uh based you know i i, I can see the arguments to have ohio state above tcu uh which is is why i have tcu at number eight uh tcu is a just a really good team. They, I, I was, I was surprised they beat Oklahoma State early in the, earlier in the year. Uh, but you know, when you have a defense like that, you're gonna, you're gonna be pretty good. And the offense is, is, is fine too, and, and they're very well coached. So I have TCU at number eight, and, and I will go down to number seven where I have Ohio State. I have Ohio State at number seven. I will say though, it, the Buckeyes giving up 20 points to Michigan. I know it's on the road, but that defense should not be allowing three touchdowns against that offense. So I, I was not all that impressed with Ohio State in that Ohio State-Michigan game. And that's kind of why I changed my criteria a little bit because I, I had Ohio State at four last week because I just still think Ohio State's really good. 
But I, I don't trust them. I've decided I don't trust Ohio State anymore. And I should have decided that after the Iowa game. But now I, I don't trust them. Wisconsin played Michigan a lot better than Ohio State did. I, I realize Wisconsin played Michigan at Camp Randall. But still, uh, it, it shouldn't matter all that much. So I, I will have a Ohio State at seven. So who's your number seven team? My number seven team, Lee, is Miami, Florida. Uh, they're number seven here strictly because they only have one loss. Uh, that's the only reason why. I, I, I think on uh, I, I've, I've stated my case numerous times why I'm not that impressed with Miami. They're, they're not particularly efficient on offense. They're, they're turnover dependent on defense. They're very young. They are athletic. Um, they just weren't ready for for that stage, and and I think when you know when, when they're playing in their home building, you know they, they can play as as well as anyone in the country. But as you saw, on, uh, you know this past Friday, just going on the road to play a bad pit team, they they, they couldn't circle the wagons. Um, just it's it just a young young team that that's probably not all the way there physically yet, and also not not all the way there yet uh, mentally. I, Miami is is going to have their day under Mark Rick. They're they're coming back slowly but surely. Just wait until they get a, a quarterback, and then Miami is going to be a pretty pretty dangerous team. They're going to be back. All right, who's your number six team? My number six team Lee is Alabama, and the more I look into this, I, I just Alabama just hasn't beaten anybody, man. They just really haven't. Um, I, I know you can you can you can give them credit for beating Fresno State. That's fine. I mean, give them credit for for beating a, a an okay LSU team by two touchdowns at home. Uh, I guess give them credit for going on the road. I mean, I usually say you know any road win in college football is a good win, and you know beating Mississippi State on the road is a good win. But I'd be lying if I said if it was it was an impressive win. It wasn't. And you know Lee, they they lost the one game they couldn't they couldn't afford to lose. And they had poise issues, and you know they. This is not a very good Alabama team uh, by Alabama standards. Still a very good college football team, but th- this is this is not your your usual Nick Saban Alabama. This is a team that has very very clear deficiencies and, and very clear spots. Um, I I hope they don't get in the playoff. I I don't I don't I don't think they're good enough to be there. Um, I, I'd, I'd be pretty disappointed if the committee threw them a bone. And I think they, I, I think, you know, if, if, if one domino falls on, on Saturday, I think it's, it's probably a pretty good chance that they are, they are going to throw Alabama a bone. I'll save my thoughts on Alabama here coming up. Cause I actually have some combined thoughts on Bama and Auburn. So with that, I'll, uh, I'll go with my number six team and my number six team is Georgia. And I gotta say impressive win by Georgia over Georgia Tech 38 to 7 at Tech in Atlanta you know I, I like that Georgia fared really well against this triple option option team and I think that's going to actually help the Bulldogs now that they've got another gimmicky type Auburn offense coming up this week that likes to run the ball and likes to use a lot of motion and likes to to get the defense off balance with a lot of the the bizarre formations and and the, the ways Jarrett Sidham and company uh, you know moves the football so I think it probably also helps Georgia that they're going to be back in Atlanta once again so two weeks in a row they're playing games in Atlanta and obviously being in the state of Georgia helps um let's see I I I will say this though actually I'm looking at my notes here and and this this next note on Georgia kind of goes with my Auburn and Alabama notes so I I will I will save that for later so Georgia's at six for me at number five is Alabama for me and I guess good time as any to move into my thoughts and and this is the, by, by the way first time that Bama has lost a regular season game by more than uh, by double digits since 2010 
And just an incredible stat. Incredible stat there. Um, but like you mentioned, they're obviously not the same team that they have been. And here's here's my, my thoughts on on Alabama, Auburn, and really Georgia. So I'm, I'm a pref- I'll preface this by saying that I'm clearly biased towards Oklahoma. I'll, I will acknowledge that. But I came away from the Iron Bowl thinking that both Alabama and Auburn aren't all that amazing. And, and I bring up OU because neither one of those defenses, Auburn and Alabama, worry me at all if the Sooners offense had to face them. Auburn's the best offense that Bama has faced all year. And I'm sorry, Auburn's offense isn't close to as good as Oklahoma's offense. And on the flip side, the best offense that Auburn has faced this year, Alabama, that maybe Notre Dame. Georgia. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah, you're I, I mess it up. Yeah, they didn't play Notre Dame. Yeah, not not Georgia. Georgia's offense isn't all that great either. So uh, Alabama, maybe. I mean, maybe Mississippi State. Okay. So I mean, well, I, I mean, Alabama's offense is definitely better than Mississippi State's. Okay, okay. So Alabama. So I mean, Alabama's the best offense. That, so the the best offense these two defenses face, they just faced them in the Iron Bowl, and neither one of those offensive units can hold a candle to Oklahoma's, in my opinion. So so this goes back to my season long talking point. When we all want to discuss elite defenses in college football, all of these defenses have not faced Oklahoma until they actually face Oklahoma. And to throw Georgia into the mix, because I hit Auburn and I hit Alabama a second ago, I'm going to hit Georgia again. The Bulldogs don't look all that great either. I I really think, and this is the main takeaway from this, Grant, and, and this is probably, uh, you know, a lot of people would disagree with this, but I think the SEC is kind of just beating up on each other right now. But since we don't see these teams play anybody else, we just kind of assume that they're elite teams. Eyeball test, man. Eyeball test, it's it's very meh for me. I think Clemson looks better than Alabama. I think Clemson looks better than Auburn. I think Clemson looks better than Georgia. And honestly, I think the Sooners look so much more polished on offense than any of those teams. And obviously the caveat there is defensively, no. Oklahoma, it, doesn't hold a candle to those other defenses but that that's kind of my spiel on the sec and those top teams yeah i, I mean I, I think there's some truth to that uh, especially with i mean i i think this is unquestionably the weakest the sec has been in you know at least over a decade at, at least maybe in you know the early parts of the 2000s I, i'm trying to think it was, it was 2003 that lsu beat ou in the in the national championship game and it seems like it's basically been the sec ever since then or at least since 2006 i think is when florida blew out uh, Ohio State in the national championship game since then has just been SEC, SEC. I, this is definitely the weakest the conference has, has been since then, and and I think it is because you, you're seeing you're seeing a, a, a cannibalization effect with with Nick Saban has basically destroyed the athletic department of every single team in the SEC um, because they have Nick Saban derangement sy- syndrome. They, they think that everyone should be as uh, as successful as Alabama is, and therefore, you know, you start hiring and firing coaches. You're looking for the next great guy, and you end up hiring Butch Jones. And you got uh, you you got Kevin Sumlin, who wins nearly seventy percent of his games at Texas A&M, and that's not good enough for a historically average program. Uh, the SEC does weird things to people, and I think I think I think you're finally starting to see. Um, Especially uh, the parity, at least in the league, it has definitely been reduced. And there would just nothing would make me happier than seeing the SEC get get a little exposed a little bit in the uh, during the bowl season. And I think I, I think the entire country probably shares those sentiments too. Well, that happened last year to some extent. A lot of the games. yeah, to some extent. Yep. 
So uh, it's okay. So that that was my spiel. So I had Bama at five. Who's your number five team? My number five team is Georgia, and I actually I don't share your your same thoughts with Georgia. I I think Georgia looked really good against Georgia Tech. Georgia Georgia legitimately concerns me. I think um, in terms of if we're going to talk about the the playoff, um, it, it maybe just looking ahead and obviously hoping that the Sooners can advance past TCU. Georgia is the team uh, that scares me the most out of I think everybody um, re- remaining in the country. It's Georgia. Um, and it's because of their ability to to run the ball. I I think they would they would really uh, be a threat to OU to to control the clock, and I think they'd be able to finish drives with the running game against OU. So um, they looked really good against Georgia Tech. They controlled that game, um, and I thought they looked good on offense too. Uh, they they really sat on the ball there, tried to play keep away from Georgia Tech. Um, so I, I'm going to put Georgia at five, just on the precipice. Uh, of the top four obviously um if they beat auburn on saturday they they will be in the college football playoff uh lee my number four team is wisconsin uh you know four here just like the committee has them and I, i'm just saying hey you know i'll i'm gonna reward you for going 12 and 0 i'll reward you again for going 13 and 0 by putting you in the playoff um but I, I i don't i don't think you're one of the four best teams in the country I don't. I think you're a really good team, but I think if you go up against anybody who actually has any sort of firepower, you're really going to struggle. Um, I, I think we're we're probably going to see that starting Saturday against Ohio State. And I have Wisconsin at number four as well. And you know, it's been a year where a lot of people have have banged on the Badgers and said a lot of nasty things and bad things, and and rightfully so. Wisconsin's schedule, for the most part, is is garbage. It's hot garbage. They've they've only played really one tough game, and it wasn't even that tough because Michigan's for all intents and purposes Michigan's down this year, and it was a home game against Michigan, who has just a brutal, brutal, awful offense. But I will say this about Wisconsin: I do love what they do with that Badgers defense. More plays than not, you will see their corners up on the line of scrimmage, pressing the opposing wide receivers. They'll do it on first and ten. They'll do it on third and ten. And when you look more into it and you learn more about the Badgers, it's not really that surprising to me that the Badgers challenge their defensive backs like that because their defensive coordinator is former NFL safety Jim Leonard. So credit to Leonard in Wisconsin for being aggressive, playing defense on their own terms. And they force opposing offenses to make plays under pressure. However, though, and this kind of goes back to what you just finished up on a moment ago, it's much easier to play this type of defense when the opposing offense is limited, especially when the quarterback is limited. And Wisconsin hasn't seen a competent quarterback all season long, not one, which is incredible at this stage in the game. In fact, the best offense, we talked about this a, a week ago, the best offense Wisconsin's faced this year is Florida Atlantic. But that was back in like week by two. By far the best offense they've faced. Okay, by far. The thing is, though, that was back in week two before the Owls had really figured anything out. FAU opened the year one and three, and the offense was nothing like it is now. And, and, and the thing is, once Florida Atlantic made a switch to a different quarterback after the first four games of the year, then the Owls offense started to roll. So Wisconsin didn't even get to see Florida Atlantic when the Owls offense was any good. It's just it's crazy. So so no doubt about it, though, Saturday will be the greatest offensive test for Wisconsin all season long. And that's even if JT Barrett's not even 100 at 100 percent. And they got to go to to what Dwayne Haskins, I think, is the backup. Uh, yeah. Dwayne. So uh, even with a different quarterback, Wisconsin will will see their their greatest offensive test. No doubt about it. Um, not only have they really not played any sort of competent quarterback play. Lee, they haven't played one single tough game on the road all season long. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? 
Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice to not have to go on the road and play a tough game? Yeah, I, I mean, the, such as such as life in the Big Ten West. I mean, their I, toughest I, I, road I, I win suppose. ended up being uh, guy, who who did they Nebraska was it or was Northwest? it uh, Indi- no, they Indiana? Played Northwestern when, home. Like I, I think it was Indiana when they were when they they trailed like ten nothing early on, and then they came I'm looking, back and beat them by like yeah. thirty five or forty. I'm looking at their S and P profile. The best S and P team that they played on the road was Indiana. They're fifty first in S and P, and Indiana was five and seven this year. Yeah, like, I mean, <sighs> it, the best team they've played on the road this year was five. They haven't played a winning team. They've they've not they did they played one, two, three, four, five road games this year. Every single one of these teams finished with a losing record. Incredible. So if there's ever a time for they, Wisconsin, it's this year. I mean, everything's set up perfectly for them, and I mean they got to take care of business. Wisconsin. They got to take care of business. Uh, we'll we'll see. I I mean I obviously think they deserve to be in if if they can beat Ohio State. Um, but that's just a cupcake schedule. I I can't look at that. I'm looking at it again. It's just it, that schedule is a joke, an absolute joke. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep this moving. Anyway, Lee. Yeah. Say, oh, it's your it's your turn. It's my turn. Yeah. So at number three, I have Auburn. I got the the, the Tigers there, and I, and I gave you my spiel on Auburn a moment ago. I mean, yeah, they're playing really well. I mean, they're playing they're playing good football right now. They're just. I you know I'm while while the committee is very high on the SEC, I am not quite as high on that conference as a whole, and and so I'm I'm not as impressed by the Georgia win and the Alabama win as as maybe I would otherwise be. And and also too, you have to admit or acknowledge that both those wins came at Jordan Hare Stadium, where it could be one of those things where honestly. Auburn's like Miami, where they play at home and they're a whole different team, but you get them on the road and they're there's something totally different. So, uh, I think that's a huge a huge factor of why they were able to win those two games as well. But I have Auburn at three. What about you? Yeah, Lean. I I also have Auburn at number three, and they have they've played their two biggest games this season at Jordan Hare Stadium. Uh, what's going to happen when they have to go on the road? This SEC championship games in Atlanta. Where is what 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 state is Atlanta in? It's in Georgia, isn't it? Georgia. So I mean, you you, you got to think that there's probably going to be a, a pretty large Georgia contingent at that game on on Saturday. I, I would guess. I, I'm sure there's going to be quite a bit of Auburn fans too, but I, I, it's probably you know at least going to be sixty forty Georgia, right? I mean, can do we know if this Auburn team can can do the same thing in a hostile environment? Because I mean, that's that's a relevant question to ask, especially in college sports. Offenses in college completely break down on the road generally. Um, and you know Auburn's offense is good, but it's not all world. And they're going against a you know a good defense in Georgia in a hostile environment. We'll we'll see how they react. I, I'm not entirely sure how they're going to react. We'll we'll find out. Uh, Lee, no, my number two team is Clemson. Um, I've been banging the drums all. I, I you know I, I think Clemson's good, and I think hopefully I didn't give off the the vibe that I thought Clemson had a, had a bad resume when I've been comparing them to OU. I, I don't think that's the case at all. Clemson's resume is actually very good. They've had they've had a consistently challenging uh, schedule, and you know they've played some teams that that turned out not to be quite as good as a lot of people thought they were. But they they still have you know. It, They've had very few layups on their schedule this year, and I think that should be rewarded. And plus, they, they do play great defense. I, I think Clemson does have the best defense in the country. Clemson's my number two team, Lee. What about you? Yeah, I have Clemson at number two as well. Uh, they started slow against South Carolina and Columbia, but ultimately they dominated SC and up 34 to nothing going into the fourth quarter in that game. I mean, Clemson played 
they've played phenomenal against good teams on the road this year. So it's it's so weird to me that the Tigers' one loss this season came on the road to a not great Syracuse team. I mean, look, look at the, the teams they beat on the road. Louisville, Virginia Tech, NC State, and now South Carolina, all on the road. I mean, there's not a great team in that bunch, but that's four really solid teams that Clemson has gotten road wins over. I mean, that's impressive. Uh, and, and you mentioned the defense. I, I think the defense is starting to play its best at the right time. And, um, you know, although South Carolina, though, is worth mentioning, statistically one of the worst offenses in college football. I mean, they're in the hundreds in offense in college football. So they don't have a whole lot of ability, South Carolina. And I feel dumb for thinking that the Gamecocks were going to give Clemson a game. And, and I even thought I even thought South Carolina might win that game. And I I feel stupid for thinking that. Yeah, so, South Carolina is thoroughly, thoroughly average. If you want to go by S&P, Kansas State is a higher ranked team than South Carolina and S&P. Um, I, South Carolina was thoroughly fine. They, they they weren't quite as good as their record suggested this year, but it's, it's still a nice win on the road in the SEC at night. I, I think they should get credit for that victory, especially a super easy one, you know, like it was. And, of course, at number one, I have Oklahoma. We've talked a lot about the Sooners, of course, all season long, so no need to explain that. Uh, finally, uh, you know, it, it, it Alabama lost. I, I say no need to explain it, and I'm going to explain it. Alabama, you know, finally lost. You and I have been saying all year we'll have Bama there until we're proven otherwise. Bama finally got knocked off. And so it just – I think Oklahoma's got the best resume in the country right now, especially considering now there's a lot more one-loss teams. And I know Wisconsin's unbeaten, but that, I'm sorry. We talked about their schedule a moment ago. It's just not very good. So I, I think Clemson and Oklahoma, the two best resumes by far in college football. Yeah, I, I think I think OU's uh, collection of three wins is better than uh, than Clemson's collection of three wins. Even though I know Clemson's really being propped up uh, with their win over Auburn, you notice. I mean, Clemson and Auburn are one and two. Those two teams played the the same oh, wow, yeah. on the same night. The same night, Ohio State and Oklahoma played. Um, I I I'm I. I I still think OU's win at Ohio State is still the most impressive win in the country this year. Uh, that's my opinion. I think you can make arguments uh, contrary to that. I would accept them, uh, but I, 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 I do think it is uh, of my opinion that that win in Columbus is still the most impressive victory oh, of, no of the entire it. season. Yeah, just because of how difficult it is to win on the road in college football. Uh, Lee, we got to get to the picks. All right, so. Championship weekend last week, Grant. You're 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 finishing the season strong. You're four and one. I was three and two, and I was trying to figure this out. Our overall records like are like a random number. So like apparently like either my math is bad or we've had weeks where we haven't just done five. We've done like three or four. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So first one, Stanford USC, the Pac-12 title game Friday night in Santa Clara. I will take Stanford, a Stanford team who's playing its best football right now against a USC team. I don't think plays a whole lot of defense. I will take the Cardinal. I'm actually going to take USC, Lee. Um, I I think I, I agree. Stanford is is playing their best football of the season. Uh, quietly though, so is USC. I think USC has kind of righted the ship a little bit. Um, I, I I I don't. I never thought that it was a team that could handle the pressure uh, of being you know a, a top two team to start the season or a top three or four team to start the year. Uh, I, I just thought they had too many holes, but you know, of course, you can patch those holes as the season goes on, and they've recruited a lot of talent to LA. Uh, I'm going to take USC. I think they should be in the if uh, if 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 Wisconsin were to lose, I think they should be in the conversation along with Alabama, Ohio State, um, 
uh, Alabama and Ohio State. I, I I do think that you know all conference champions should give uh, should be given due consideration. I think USC has turned into to a really good uh, potential top ten team as the season's gone on. I'll, I'll take the Trojans. All right, in the American Championship game, Memphis and Central Florida. The game is at 11 a.m. on Saturday, and it's being played in Orlando, where I'm pretty sure Central Florida is in Orlando. So it's like basically a home game for Central Florida. Uh, I'm actually gonna uh, I'm gonna take Central Florida to win because I think they're so good. But I'm gonna definitely take Memphis plus the seven points because I think Central Florida's defense is bad, and Memphis can move the ball well. So I think it'll be a high-scoring, close game. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep riding the UCF train. Um, I I think they'll I think they'll win, and I I think they'll cover too. Um, Memphis's defense is terrible, and and UCF's uh, offense is is really 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 good. Um, I I I can't really see Memphis stopping UCF really at all in this game. Uh, I'll take the Golden Knights. I, I think they're a top ten team, and hopefully they'll they'll go on to play uh, Alabama in, in a BCS game or something like that. That'd be that'd be really entertaining. ACC title game, Miami and Clemson. Clemson's favored by almost 10 points in this game. It just shows you how little Vegas thinks of Miami. I'd be shocked if the Hurricanes win this game. I will take Clemson to win. I'm going to take Clemson, too. I think they're going to cover also. I think you're going to see probably like a like a 28 or 31 to 10 like game. I, th- I, think, I, I don't think it's going to be a monumental blowout, but I think Clemson is going to be in control the entire time. The SEC title game, Georgia and Auburn. Auburn is favored by two and a half points. So, uh, you know, this time away from Jordan Hare, where Georgia was favored slightly, now Auburn riding high is favored. Grant, I think Georgia is going to beat Auburn this time. I, I, I think it's you know playing a rematch this, you know, this close together. And this kind of goes in the re- reason why. I mean, I think Oklahoma's going to beat TCU, but I think it's going to be a close game. I think Georgia's defense is going to play a lot better this time around against an Auburn offense. And now Auburn's away from home. And if you remember back of that podcast, there was this one play in that game that I thought could have changed the entire game that Georgia didn't hit. And it ended up being a blowout, I know. So it kind of looks weird. But I think Georgia's going to come back. And I, I, I'm trying not to overreact. I don't want to overreact to one game. And that was Georgia's bad game of the year. And Auburn's been playing really well. I think Georgia's better than Auburn, so I'm gonna take the Bulldogs. Lee, I'm also gonna take Georgia. Um, I, I I think Georgia's gonna win. I, I think over the course of the season, I think overall Georgia's been the better team. I know Auburn's playing really well right now, but like I said ten minutes ago, I'm concerned uh, about how they're gonna play away from home because we really haven't seen it this year. Um, they've played their two biggest games of the season at home. What happens when they play their now biggest game of the season away from home? Um, if Auburn wins this wins this game, and that's a sign of a special team, I I, I don't necessarily see it. I think Georgia's going to win. Georgia's has has kind of had the pedigree all season long, and I I, I like Georgia. I, I've seen them play a uh, handful of times now. Uh, Watch them closely the last couple weeks. I think Georgia's a really good team. Uh, I'm going to take Georgia. And finally, Wisconsin and Ohio State in the Big Ten title game for the entire season. I've been propping up Ohio State, telling you they're a really good team because Ohio State is a very good team. But I'm going to surprise you, Grant. I'm going to take the Badgers to win this game. I'm going to take the upset because, like I said earlier in the podcast, I don't trust Ohio State anymore. And I'm not going to take them away away from uh, Columbus. Ohio State's a totally different team. And I get it. You could use the same argument back with Wisconsin, which I probably should. Wisconsin hasn't played one tough road game yet. So, you know, maybe throw that out. But I, you know. 
this is going to be more on me not trusting Ohio State. I'm going to go. I'm going to say Wisconsin goes unbeaten still and uh, up to this point and shocks the world and beats Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, I think it could definitely happen. Um, but I'm I I'm not as brave as you. I'm going to take Ohio State. Um, I think this game is going to go one or two ways. I think either Wisconsin's going to win a really close game or Ohio State's going to blow them out. Um, so I, if I'm taking Ohio State, I guess I'm going on the record as saying I think Ohio State's going to win pretty easily. Um, wouldn't surprise me either way, but I, I for for the sake of, of this pick segment, I will pick Ohio State. Based on talent and just what Ohio State should do to Wisconsin, the Buckeyes should win going away. I will acknowledge that, but there's just something going on. And this has nothing to do with film. It's just a feeling. And I got a feeling that Wisconsin's going to win. All right, we've gone way too long. That's our show. Grant and I will be back Monday with reaction from Oklahoma TCU. And, of course, our thoughts on the final college football playoff rankings. I'm sure that'll be a pretty big show. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.